there and a very warm welcome to Des's Island Discs. In a hectic world, this is a little oasis of calm and nostalgia from our guests who choose pieces of music that remind them of a particular time or story from their life or career. Now, if you're listening on podcast, we cannot play the music because of copyright laws. But really, this is about stories. So let's hear them. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1. Now, today's guest is one of Ireland's leading comedians. It's a pleasure to welcome Neil Delamere. So, Neil, a product of Eden Derry County, Offaly. Can you tell us what childhood was like for you in the Midlands? It was a great place to grow up. I had a couple of brothers and a sister all older than me. Uh, my dad worked in board in Mona. I loved growing up there. It, it, was, it was kind of a standard Irish childhood. It's, it's, you know, a, a convent school and a secondary school. And for, for, I suppose I mean, somebody like you might be interested in, I tried various sports, so I, uh, Gaelic football. Um, my father always used to say, we all of us have too much lead in our arse, is exactly <laughs> what he said. Meaning that we were pretty slow off the mark in terms of athletic ability. Um, I tried kind of individual sports, but I wasn't very good at the team sports. And I tried um, uh, Kempo, karate. And uh, my proudest kind of sporting thing, I suppose, is probably I swam for for Offaly. But it's a bit like playing Gaelic football for Mozambique in that I don't know if there's a massive number of people. You'd swim against lads who had learned how to swim in the wild. Like there'd be lads in from Ballycumber who had, you know, they'd be covered in frog spawn and twigs. Another fellow who was pretty decent um, who whose father was in prison for doing some fairly mad nefarious activities, which I won't go into on the national radio, but we kind of let him win. And the sports person from the family was probably my sister Fiona, who fenced front. Uh, um, I have no idea how fencing ended up in in the Midlands. I have no idea. We were pretty good though in terms of it, in, th- in terms of that club. Um, and Michael O'Brien went to, to the Olympics for for Ireland. It was it was a weird opening in, into kind of Eastern Europe because we used to get people staying with us from beyond the Iron Curtain um, on little kind of fencing exchanges. So you'd have some guy from Warsaw in or some guy from Czechoslovakia at the time. My sister had been to all those places when nobody had been to those places, like Yugoslavia when it was Yugoslavia and uh, Czechoslovakia when it was Czechoslovakia. So um, we had a guy from Czechoslovakia once actually come and stay with us and... Um, he asked what my dad did, and we were trying to figure out how he explained Bordemont to somebody who who might not be familiar with what Bordemont is. So eventually, we kind of thought, "What's well, the semi-state body?" So we said to him, "He works for the state. My dad works for the state, mm. and uh, he wouldn't he wouldn't make he wouldn't look at him for the rest of the day. <laughs> he wouldn't look at. He thought he was. <laughs> he wouldn't look at him. He wouldn't make head eye contact with him. No, my dad was like Stas from East <laughs> East Germany." My dad could have played up to that. <laughs> he should have just laid him for his head one day, <laughs> just for the crack. Um, uh, but yeah, it, it, it was this weird kind of, I suppose, student exchange program before they were done. So it was great to meet people and get a different perspective, I suppose, but an unusual way to do it. Now, you were academically bright, young man. Every time you say something like that to me, there's a, a, some degree of surprise right? to in your voice, Des. As if to say, I've met you, and <laughs> the research jars. Um, we would be a reasonably bright family, put, put, put it that way, kind of reasonably academic, I should say. Uh, so I kind of just followed that more. Yeah, I, I did okay in my leaving search, and I, I kind of could have done whatever I wanted, really, 
I think except actuarial studies are one of those ridiculous points courses and I ended up doing computer applications in DCU and I did it mainly because my brother had done it before me and I kind of knew it was a stopgap before I figured out what I really wanted to do so like there was no comedy club and there was no but there was no theatre in Eden Dairy as well um, so you, like you weren't even aware of it as a as a possibility of it as a career uh, so I just knew I just didn't really want to do computer applications which is what I ended up doing. And my, my, I, I, I kind of thought about law and I thought about medicine. And my mother said to me that about medicine, you know, you really, it's a vocation, you really have to love it. And about law, she kind of said, oh, you have to know somebody. That was her thing. Oh, you have to know somebody. <laughs> Definitely have to know somebody. So instead, I, I, I just kind of did something while I figured out what else I wanted to do. And I only figured that out when I was in, towards, towards the end of college, really. This was in DCU. This was in DCU, Yeah. My first, my first song actually, uh, just I, I went for songs today that reminded me of a specific time, a specific mm. place, really, rather than a, a band that was necessarily a massive fan of. So, yeah. in in nineteen ninety eight, I was in DCU. I was doing computer applications. I was living with my friends from from home, and uh, we were living in this incredibly dodgy flat not far from from dcu it was above a shop uh the shop was constantly robbed like constantly shoplifted from to the extent that the, the guy who's a shopkeeper got so annoyed one day he kind of lost all fear and a guy came in with two knives to rob the shop and your man was a stack of boxes of crisps at the time and he had a box of crisps in his hand and he charged the fella and impaled the two knives of the box of crisps and hoofed him out of the shop it was it was the Wild West to us. Yeah. And uh, we used to just look out the window every so often if there was nothing on the television. We lived over a chipper as well. It was a shop under yeah. a chipper on the other side. And uh, one day we looked out and it was a Friday evening and there was one guy and we watched him chase another fella around the Ford Fiesta for about 15 minutes. <laughs> Shout at him going, what you did to my sister is a disgrace. But we lived in this kind of brave new world, it was only 40 miles up the road. But 1998 was the year that, you know, everything was replete with possibility. And then during the summer, I think you'll be interested in this. Uh, it, it was it was 1998. It was awfully winning the Ireland. And uh, I was there when we played Clare. Uh, and I was I went on the pitch when the ref blew it up early. And then we went back down to Thurles uh, and, and won. And even, even my brothers and I, who've, who've been at like European championships and my brothers have been to the World Cup and everything else uh, as as fans best atmosphere of any game they've ever been at in any cold was that second game uh, it was that, that, that game in Thurles um, that's because there was raw uh, there was raw hatred there Neil wasn't there <laughs> <laughs> and animosity uh, it was it was it was brilliant I mean Clare were hard done by as well there were points up against when we were in, in Croker and in very unusual circumstances uh, I just remember the whole stand singing the Offaly Rover, the whole stand, not pockets. Joe Dooley giving a master class. He seemed to score, score the same point over and over again, just catching it from a puck out and taking a step and banging it over. It was magical. And every time I hear a song from 1998, which was around all during the summer, I just I'm transported back there. So I went for Corner Shop, pretty much their only hit at Brimful of Asha. Yeah. Just, just on that, for listeners who, who mightn't follow GA. Claire were leading awfully and the ref blew the final whistle a minute and a half too early. Isn't that correct? And, uh, and, yeah. And, yeah. You, and, and you guys, the Offaly fans, got, sat on the pitch and protested and forced a replay, basically. 
sat on the pitch and like Midlands Mahatma Gandhi's peaceful protest uh, won the day in the end. And I mean, it, it's very tough from a clear point of view and you can, you can understand that. But I mean, from, from our point of view, we would have thought that, I think the team would have thought that maybe left they, they left in All-Ireland behind in 1994. Having kind of burgled one in 1995 and having burgled one in 1994 the last five minutes, I suppose, Limerick people would say to us. So there's a lot of kind of... Um, Interesting narratives at play at that time as well. Um, so it was just had all the drama, and Offaly had won, had had lost the Leinster final, and then and then won the All Ireland mm. through this backdoor system, which is a relatively new thing. So you know, you're you're 18, you're in Croke Park, you're on the pitch, you're protesting like it's <laughs> like it's the Vietnam War. You're expecting some the self-immolation of a Buddhist monk nearby. Uh, I never thought it would happen, and then of course because you're 18. Uh, and after we won the football league that year, and yeah. we'd won the Leinster title in 1997, of course you're eating. You think this is going to last forever. <laughs> We're going to win this every year. This is life is amazing. Mm. It's like when my brothers convinced me to become a Liverpool fan, and, and we, <laughs> they won the league. And I thought, you know, it's 1989, This is going to keep going. Mm. I suppose that when you look back, that kind of makes it even more special at the time, you know. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio One. That's Brimful of Asha by Corner Shop, the choice of today's guest comedian, Neil Delamere. Uh, it sounds like you loved college. Uh, yeah, I, I did like college, I have to say. Uh, but, when I, but when I finished, um, I knew I wasn't going to last too long in the job that I, that I, that I went into. I went into a computer application. I went into a, a, a small bespoke um, software engineer company and they would just design... Uh, software for whatever anybody needed uh, it, was, it, it was great fun there I think it was something like it was the dot-com bubble um, the dot-com boom leading to the dot-com bubble and I think something like 80% of us were under 25 because they needed to scale up quite quickly and it was great fun because you were working with people your own age and living in a flat in town uh, so that was that was good crack but when when that burst very shortly after I kind of joined maybe a year within a year after I joined a lot of my friends were laid off and uh, I remember being in in the in the office it was we used to work in Manor Street Business Park in Stony Batter and and just thinking god I'm going to be here in a year if I, I might lose my job but otherwise I'll be here in a year doing the same sort of stuff and I, I kind of thought I don't really want want to do that necessarily and I had started doing stand up and um I at the moment Apart from the fact that I love stand-up, the moment I knew maybe a full-time job like that wasn't for me was I bunked off one day. I'm pretty sure they don't know this <laughs> still. But uh, I bunked off one day, and I've never said the Pat Short either, to be an extra in a Pat Short TV show. So if anybody knows uh, uh, Manor Street Business Park at Stony Banner, right? I, I said to them, oh, I'm too sick, I can't come in the next day. And I went to O'Connor Street at like 7 o'clock in the morning because being an extra, it's, you get up really early, usually 6 or 7 o'clock. And I got a bus from O'Connor Street and thought, I can't be caught here. And the bus went out the North Circular Road and pulled into Grange Gorman which uh, is now uh, um, uh, third level. Mm. Uh, yeah, I think at then it was a, a psychiatric institution. And that's where they were filming. And it drove all the way back down to the back of Grange Gorman, which is basically over the back wall 
from Manor Street Business Park. And I could see the fella <laughs> over the back wall through the window that I sat beside. And I could see my boss as well. So I, the whole day was petrified. And I'm sure the director was going, could you just sit there? And I was like, I don't think my character would sit face this direction. <laughs> you're an idiot. Shut up, you're an idiot. You're next just do do what we told. Uh, so I, it was, there was no way I could have planned for that. But I was caught, caught rapid by my one of the fellas I worked with, but the rest of the people never found out about it. But I, I think that was indicative of, of maybe me not taking the job as seriously as I should have, you know? When did you first go on stage to do stand-up? First went on stage in uh, 2001, I think. Uh, I went into the, the International Comedy Club and it just tried five minutes. And I, I only had one person there I did it and it must have gone okay. And uh, I just kind of said, oh, I want to do more of this. And then within, I suppose, a year, I was doing a, a live piece of stand-up comedy among all the other people on the Late Late Show doing a, a final, which I would advise anybody against because when you're that new, going on to live television is, is mm. it's terrifying. But that was one of those cases of you didn't know. You didn't know that, so you just said yes to everything you know there's a confluence yeah of events so I got, I got a few quid from that lots of my friends are being laid off I thought well who knows god computers might be a bit precarious as well my auntie died my cousin said will you live in the house for a few months just probably get everything sorted out mm. um, so I said oh well that, that 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 I could kind of live on a shoestring there as well and I, I can go for this thing I can go for, for stand-up comedy so that's how it all happened really and I never mm-hmm. looked back you know and do you remember the first time you got paid for doing a gig I do yeah <laughs> I crashed the car on the way home oh, I went uh, I did yeah I went to uh, Dundalk and my first ever paid gig Bernard O'Shea was on and I think he was uh, he, uh, Bernard and Colin McDonald and another guy who was also in uh, Burn Stickham were running the gig in Dundalk in the spirit store. And I kind of had talked up a lot that I had done a lot of pay gigs and it was my first pay gig. So I didn't tell them that. Yeah. And they gave me 50 quid and I was absolutely delighted. And a friend of mine came, another friend of mine came from the computer company and he had a few drinks. So I drove his car home and then uh, basically scraped the whole door off the car. And oh. uh, I highs and lows, but it was, it was brilliant. The key to kind of stand up like that is to get a few nice gigs under your belt before you absolutely die. Because you will, you'll absolutely die in your backside at some point. And you just need the first few to be okay mm. so you can have something to compare them against, really. Where, where did the greatest death occur? Uh, I did a show in Edinburgh at uh, 2 o'clock in the morning. There's a show called Late in Life that everybody has died at because yeah. it's 2 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And um, um, a guy shouted, if I can say this yeah. on the radio, get your bits out. But he didn't say bits. Yeah. And I said, I'll get mine if you get yours. Assuming that he wouldn't. <laughs> uh, that was a mistake. That was a miscalculation. <laughs> I never forget this. Well, he vaulted onto the stage and with some degree of of presentation, like a magician's flourish, I would suggest, removed his jeans and undergarments and proudly displayed what nature gave to the rest of the world. And uh, that was fine, uh, except he turned expectantly to me and I didn't. And Edinburgh does not like a broken promise. I think if I did at that point, I would have been carried shoulder high from the stage. I demurred and said, no, 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 no. And they turned on me for the last five minutes to gig. So, yeah, I uh, mean, it's it's a noble death as death is called. Your second musical choice is Stevie Wonder. Again, I'm picking a, a song for something yeah. that uh, when I hear I'm in a specific place, 
I got picked to go to Australia, um, to the Australia um, Festival, you know, and it's just amazing, you know, you're, you're 24 or 5, you're in Australia with, I was with David O'Hardy and, and um, Carol Spain doing a Best of Irish show, and people might not know, but you can put on a Best of Irish show, and if in in about 150 countries around the world. Irish people will come out to see it. Other people will go and see it as well. I mean, I did the best of Irish show in Manila once. <laughs> and we were, like, Manila. Mm. And we were brought back to the hotel and, like, it was a half-decent hotel and there was lads checking under their car for bombs. Mm. It was just bizarre. And in 2004, we went to Australia. It was, it was you're, you're being paid to be in the sunshine on the other side of the world. We did a fringe festival and then we went up and we did Brisbane, and we did Sydney, and then we end up doing these really little weird gigs, like in these mining towns, like there'd be eight fellas for every girl in the audience, because they were, they were just off a mining shift. Yeah. We did Air in Queensland, and it was a 400-seat theatre, and only 50 people turned up, so we had to do it in the lobby, and everybody was over 80, and when you talk to the audience, they were all sugarcane farmers, every single one was a sugarcane farmer, so we learned how to do these weird gigs, Um and then there was this other kind of unusual undercurrent in some of these places. They had older people who had left Ireland in the 40s and 50s, maybe, or even uh, 50s and the 60s. And they thought of it as some sort of postcard in their mind rather than yeah. the new modern Ireland that we had just left. So remember, we, we did a gig there and, and there was a man who had 50 grandchildren and we congratulated him. And he stood up and he said, in front of the whole room, uh, while I accept your congratulations, you'd all be better if you didn't use so many four-letter words and stop blaspheming the sacred holy family and then sat down. Yeah. And we were like, oh, okay, <laughs> this isn't what you thought this, this would be. Um, and it was in a park in Adelaide during the Fringe Festival. It was one o'clock in the morning. Uh -huh. There was, it was so warm that you could wear T-shirts and there was possums running up trees. And I kind of couldn't believe I was there. And I heard superstition from <laughs> the music tent. And I walked in and Rod Gilbert, who's a very successful yeah, Welsh no, comedian, yeah. singing superstition because it was his go-to karaoke hit. And I just thought, this is amazing. I don't think I'm ever going to forget this. So every time I hear superstition, I don't think of Stevie Wonder. I think of Rod Gilbert and a Welsh bar just um, cracking this out in a tent in uh, in Adelaide. That's I'm transported back. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio One. That's superstition and Stevie Wonder, the choice of today's guest, comedian Neil Delamere. Uh, so you've you've virtually seen the world then through comedy, have you, Neil? I yeah, I've seen a lot of places. I suppose we've seen kind of fifteen or or twenty places. 15 or 20 different countries, you know? Yeah. And uh, I suppose there's testament to the reputation of Irish people m more than anything else because you go on bills where people don't know who you are. They they, they just put on a best of Irish bill. And uh, it seems we have a good reputation. And uh, so we, we've got to go to lots of places. Like I suppose they, they kind of separate into going to a gig where the audience is expats, so Brits, Irish people, Americans, or going to certain places like and they they specifically speak English, um. So, uh, are, you know, and they're locals. So th they'd be kind of Northern European gigs or, or uh, Dutch gigs. Have you a favourite venue? Um, a small venue. Uh, I, I did the comedy zoo once in Copenhagen, and you expect certain heckles as an Irish comedian, you know, in in, in another crowd, you know, like yeah, potatoes or yeah, Guinness, <laughs> Mister Irishman. 
did the comedy zoo and the guy just stood up and went, hey, Johnny Logan. <laughs> because Johnny Logan is absolutely massive in Denmark and I think lives there now. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't expecting that. That would, wouldn't be my favourite, one of my favourite um, venues that that he kind of did in a one-off. But it's hard to beat Vicar Street in Dublin or or um, or the Ulster Hall maybe in, in Belfast. And small venues, probably the International Bar yeah. in, in Wicklow Street, Dublin, where, where it all kicked off, which is the place that Ardell O'Hanlon and uh, Barry Murphy and Kevin Kildee set up Irish comedy basically in the late 1980s. Mm. So that everybody's kind of filtered through there, really. It's interesting you, you say the, you, you speak of the North because... Uh, the comedy programme you do in BBC Northern Ireland is hugely popular as well. Yeah, that was my... I actually deliberately picked a, a song that remind, would remind me of North of the Border. So I could have gone for Stiff Little Fingers. or, But I decided I would go with um, Teenage Kicks, uh, The Undertones. And um, mainly because I suppose it's been the constant for the last 15 years, the show we do in the North. It's called The Blame Game. Um, and one of the things you miss, I suppose, from, from being in an office or being on a team, really, is collaboration and the kind of collegiate atmosphere, you know? And that's what you get from, from this show. It's a standard panel show. But these are lads I've seen every single uh, week for a certain parts of the year for, for 15 years. Uh, Colin Murphy, who I did a panel with, and, and Jacob Kinn and Tim McGarry. And... It's it's great crack. It's great mm. fun. Like you're sitting there, and your your friends are 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 making you laugh essentially. Um, and the producer of the show actually was in a band from there years ago, and they had a music contract and all, a contract and all the rest. And they, um, the the undertone supported them at one point. So every time wow. I hear, uh, uh, every time I hear, yeah, <laughs> the undertones and uh, teenage kicks, and I, I just think of the north. And traveling up there and doing a show that has kind of become, I suppose, just part of the furniture, you know, to the extent that if something big happens, you know, you, you might people you know, get in a coffee in, in Belfast before the show and you'll meet someone and they'll say, oh, oh, you're going to talk about X, Y and Z tonight. So it's kind of nice to be part of, of, of the furniture, I suppose, which is an accident in some ways. I remember I was I was in a car park about nine or ten years ago and um, I was kind of going, God, I can't keep doing this because I was doing... I was doing the blame game. I was I was doing the panel. And I was doing Republic Italian, and I was just kind of going, "This all something has to break here, you know. Yeah. You can't keep doing all these gigs." And so, what what am I going to do? Two or three can stay, but they can't all stay. And um, I end up staying. I, I did. I ended up staying with the panel and staying with them with the blame game. And uh, oddly enough, it has kind of outlasted all of them. Yeah. And it's led to me doing kind of weird gigs around the north, and I never thought I would, I would do. Uh, like you're doing the Ulster Hall, and you're, you're kind of looking around before the gig, and this is the this is the venue where Ian Paisley made some of the most incendiary speeches of the, of the troubles. And then you walk on and go, "Funny thing happened to me on the way to the forum tonight." You know, these are some things I noticed. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's it's kind of a weird and surreal position to be in, but I'm very grateful for it. So I, I kind of thought I would pick. Something that represents my my northern friends. So I went for teenage kicks. All right, good choice too. And Neil Delamere, thank you very much for sharing some great memories with us. And we'll play out with teenage kicks from the undertones. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio One.